Hey everyone, this is episode 281 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I am James, joined once again by Ryan and Paul, uh, trying to get over, it's kind of a crummy weekend weather-wise, and then the Brewers kind of <coughs> soured my mood even more on Sunday. How have you guys been doing? Uh, I'm all right. I have to stop talking about football on Twitter. I keep... I've become what I hate. I keep getting into arguments about which tight end is going to be the best. And it's a dumb argument because tight end's not even a thing. It's three separate positions. And you can't tell if any are good for three years. And I'm not going to remember any of these arguments three years from now. And also, I might be wrong. So I might not want this is stupid. I need the draft to be over. It's, uh, it's welcome to my draft brain. week. Yeah. 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 This is why I like the MLB draft because, like, the uh, ratio of people who think they know things to people who actually know things is much better because nobody knows much about it. So you don't get nearly <laughs> as much bullshit, right? Like it's just it's it's much lower key and people that are talking about it generally know a lot more. Um, so you don't you don't end up with that problem of like getting into arguments with people who think that they know stuff when <laughs> they they absolutely like they they don't know things like yes so I'm I'm annoyed because I have I have a system and I like when I argue with scouts I have to query them on like okay the system says they weren't good at this one thing that I've determined is very important and then nobody ever has a good answer for that when I do it. It's always, oh, actually, they're good at that, or the team hurt them in some way, or <laughs> like, oh, yeah. It, it, and it's the Arrested Development meme of this This time, it might work for us. Like, that's what it ends up being. Like, exactly. No, no, we've we've been through this. We have hundreds of sample size on this being the case. Uh, this, by the way, if you this is specific to tight end yards per, uh, yards per catch in college, which is a great proxy for being a good tight end in the pros. Uh, one of the highest touted tight ends in this draft is Michael Meyer of Notre Dame, who averaged, I, I think, 11.7 yards per completion um, over over the course of his career, which is very bad. And um, like I, I don't get this. Uh, scouts love the guy. I think perhaps because of where he goes and some other stuff about what he looks like compared to some other players, but. Uh, <laughs> He uh, he's not as good as the other tight ends in this draft. So uh, and I will die on this hill. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I'm very annoyed at it at the moment. That's well, all. I, I'm done. I have a feeling. More football later. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like you're going to be talking a lot of football because you, you guys are doing your NFL draft preview and, and such over at reporting as eligible. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, still a Packer as we record this. <laughs> yes, too. So. You guys were holding out until after the trade, and and you're just gonna give in like that and, and do an episode. We have it's not to. Gonna yep. come I thought we the draft. I thought we'd do two before the draft because I thought we'd have an Aaron show and a draft show, and he just wouldn't let it happen because that's how he rolls. Do you think it'll happen before Thursday or Friday with the second round? What are you thinking? Rumors flying around that it will be Friday and that the first round yeah. trade portion is dead, but we'll see. We will see. Uh, stay tuned for that. And before we jump back into the baseball side of things, reminder, as always, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Two bucks a month guarantees you get your questions answered both on this podcast and on reporting as eligible. So you're going to want to sign up for that. Uh, we got almost like 20 questions on the Brewers side today. The, the Sunday blow up had a lot to do with that, but also NFL draft week. So you're going to want to get that question priority. Five bucks a month, that level. 
gets you that question priority, plus additional exclusive content, the minor league extra with Ryan and James Anderson, as well as Paul's NFL draft previews over on the reporting as eligible side with those mini pods. All good stuff to listen to before the draft gets underway later this week. All right. Uh, the Brewers started the year really, 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 really well, right? They finished off that 10 game, really tough road trip at seven and three. Uh, I guess historically one of the best 10 game road trips in, in team history, which I don't know if that's saying a whole lot, but uh, it's still better to be on that end of history than the other ends. Uh, they came into Sunday at 15 and six. Also one of the best starts in franchise history in first place. Uh, but I guess it just is another week where, at least for me, it doesn't feel <laughs> like they're off to a great start, right? It's just like been this deluge of bad news, whether it was Brandon Woodruff's shoulder injury last week. This week we have Garrett Mitchell's shoulder injury, and he's out for the year. That's a huge bummer because I know all three of us were getting really excited about what he could uh, do that later this year. Um, and, and all that happened before the Brewers bullpen got a big dose of regression on Sunday. So uh, lost that series to the Red Sox at home. Still have series against the Tigers and the Angels coming up in this homestand. But uh, man, I guess any impressions on the downer of the last week before you jump into these questions? They were four and two. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. They keep winning, but it's like all the off-field stuff is like, man, it feels like it's all going to come crumbling down at some point, and I tend to be an optimist. I don't know. Yeah, it it feels tenuous is the problem. Like, uh, And uh, the injuries, I feel like, are going to catch up. You know, the other thing that's doing it for me is they got passed by the Pirates in the standings, which... um, you know, Winners the Pir- are seven in a row, the Pirates, yeah. The, 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 and that might not keep up, but be, <laughs> might. being pa- being passed by the Pirates makes what you're doing feel ephemeral, too. Um, <laughs> and it's not like the Pirates, uh, not, it's too early for Pythagorean to matter, schedules matter a lot, whatever. But they're plus 25 and we're plus 27. So, like, who, who are we to cast dispersions at this point? And we're, we're both being uh, out-differentialed by the Cubs by a substantial margin, which makes it feel even worse than it is. So, um, uh, you know, this will all get better, maybe, but also, like, it might kind of crash down for the Brewers if they don't have pitching depth, which right now they kind of don't. So, that. Yeah, it's that part of it is spooky. Uh, here's one for you. The Brewers have lost three games at home. Guess how many yep. of those games I've been to. Oh, I bet all of oh, them. No, all right. three of them, yeah. Yeah. I'm two and three so far. So I have seen two wins. But yeah, uh I'm this is like the reverse of my last year how, where I had how many of them did Matt Bush grew up. I think this was the first one. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. That's good. Yeah, I they were behind early in I think the other ones. They the other two I think were non competitive. Well, no, Friday night was Friday night Bush pitched clean, right? He was fine. It was the other guys that had problems if i'm remembering correctly i I think that's right yeah he had a clean he did have a clean game yeah and then the other one was just like a non-competitive game so yeah Yeah. against the cardinals so yeah it's not great it's it's the reverse (laughs) of what i was last year because i had a really good record last year and i know laura hemming uh of of twitter hemming and hawing she had a horrible record last year even though like the team was off to a great start. She got off to a terrible start in game she attended. So these things do work out weird sometimes. 
some Ryan regression happening too there, I guess. Uh, yes. But uh, obviously Sunday's disaster uh, led to a lot of questions. So let's just jump right into <laughs> these Patreon questions. First, we have Lucroy's suitcase, who notably sent this before Sunday, saying, this bullpen has been amazing so far. How much negative regression are you expecting? It seems crazy that so many of these random guys have been lights out. Also, I don't understand how Hobie Milner has looked so good every outing I've watched this year. I keep waiting for the wheels to fall off. Is this just small sample BS right now? And then following it up on Sunday. Sorry for jinxing it. So, uh you know, like you said, Paul, this this feels kind of tenuous. We kind of mentioned that the Brewers are really good at one-run games so far this year, but that Yee. seems kind of fluky, too. Yeah, yeah. so a, a lot of your warning bells going off right now about this bullpen. Yeah, well, you know, the one-run game thing isn't really bullpen-specific. It, it kind of is, because bullpens are, um, you know, it, it's hard to have one that's significantly better, but the, the Brewers tend to. Like, the Brewers actually tend to be good in close games under council um you know when they've had hater in the past but they've had a good bullpen so far but like you don't go undefeated in one run games um that just doesn't happen and mm -hmm. you know it's going to come that's going to hit them at some point but um it, it's it it does feel uh, you know actually the starting rotation feels much more tenuous than the bullpen does like um I, I, matt bush always makes me nervous when he's out there did today but by and large i actually think that they're okay i actually trust them pretty well to get through things where I get nervous about the, the, the pitching really is just in the, the big quality innings eaters being injured and that forcing guys to pitch longer than they otherwise would and go deeper and eventually starting to wear down the depth of the bullpen and tire guys out. Like that's where it's going to get. But um, I, I actually don't think that they're going to, they'll have regression because of that. That's not really regression. That's like, You've been worked harder. Regression's bad luck. And they're 5-0 and in one-run games, but like they're good in one-run games. They'll be better than most teams in one-run games. I'm fine saying that. But yeah, they've been lucky so far. They've been a combination of lucky, and it hasn't caught up to them, and they're going to get less lucky, and the pitching is going to catch up to them at some point if they don't get guys healthy, which doesn't look likely in the near term. Yeah, I guess I'm not super concerned about... Uh some of the bullpen stuff like there are things about it Devin Williams has only thrown they've played 22 games and he's thrown seven innings that's not a, a ridiculous number like you track that out to a full season and now you're looking at that being what 60 to 70 innings that's right in the sweet spot yeah. right that's like right what you you want and expect for your best high leverage reliever um who's not you know prime Josh Hader because we got more out of him back then when we were using him in a better way. But we've talked about that. Um, looking at some of the other stuff on here, like, yeah, I guess like Strzelecki and Milner have pitched quite a bit. Both have, have 10 innings. So that's that's a bit much and asking them to do quite a bit. So that's a, a bit more concerning. Bush coming into today was 7.1. So like they weren't asking him to pitch a ton i guess they were and are sort of asking bryce williams wilson to pitch a bunch um but he's doing the josh Hader thing he's doing the classic josh Hader from 2017 2018 thing where he's pitching like three innings at a chunk and then getting like the next three days off so wilson is actually being used that way and so far has been really really good like he's been probably the biggest happy surprise out of the early thing here because, I mean, Williams is doing what we expect Williams to do, right? And Strzelecki, 
we all had high hopes for, and he's been very good this year. So I think we like he's kind of confirming that we thought he's quite good. And I think he is the answer to the question, like who's going to go into the eighth inning role here is probably Strzelecki. And I have mixed feelings about that because I'd kind of like him to be available to come in in the sixth and seventh if there's problems more so than just sticking him into the eighth. That's why I thought Bush was kind of good for that. But we'll get more into Bush in a minute. But yeah, I mean, there's there's other ways this could go. When Gus Varland, who sounds like he's going to be okay after we we didn't even get into the Gus Varland injury last week, like he, very much like not he, a ton, yeah, yeah, like it's super scary though, yeah, yeah. But he yeah. looks like he's really quite good by stuff plus. Those the stuff plus numbers on Varland are really really good, and so uh, I think that I'm I'm not super concerned about that stuff. There are individual things I'm concerned about here and one of them is Matt Bush so we'll we'll get into that because we have a question coming up yeah how about right now uh Luke Zimmerman <laughs> is asking before uh before we get to Matt Bush how long can the Brewers bullpen run with Hobie Milner being the only left-handed relief pitching option uh saying maybe that was the projected Ashby role pre-injury but also is there another legitimate setup man instead of Bush on the roster so Ryan mentioned Strzelecki. Anybody else uh, come to mind there, Ryan? Or is yeah, it I mean, just kind of like a committee thing? Well, going back to his first question first, which is the left-handed thing, don't worry about that. The left-handed thing, you really don't need more than one. And it's even then, like, I don't know. I haven't looked deeply enough, but I nothing stands out to me here as having massive platoon splits where there's a guy that you're just like, you don't want him to face lefty power hitters in that group except Matt Bush and that's that's a whole other issue that we have to deal with but like (laughs) the thing about a second lefty for your bullpen you can either potentially get that with uh with guys who come up like Ethan Small if he can get his stuff together and figure out like what it what he needs to do to be a lights out reliever and I think that's in the cards for him you potentially have a guy there or you just go get one on the, the trade market in the summer I those those ones I really don't worry about because you're not you don't need having a loogie a guy who can just get lefties out isn't really that useful anymore in the game because Manfred took that away so having a guy who just like specializes I think people got it in their heads that you need like two or three lefties to like be able to to go back and forth and like play roles like that and it's really not that way anymore so I just do not worry about not having enough lefties I think that that's and if they do want to have a second one in the bullpen for like the playoffs that's a thing you go and do at the the trade deadline or like I said you you promote them the Bush thing I I posted today I was sitting at the game and posted like I just don't understand what's going on and it was because I hadn't looked at his stuff plus numbers uh I looked at last year's and he was exceptional last year I if you listen to the preview episode you know, I talked about the fact that like he was situated in terms of uh, stuff and location plus. So pitching plus he was right in between Burns and Woodruff in uh, of guys who pitched like 50 or more innings. Like Burns was like 19 and Woodruff was like 23rd and Bush was sitting there at like 20. So it was like that's why he's on the team. That's why he's he's getting the run that he is. And that's why they're putting the faith in him. But before today, and we don't have the updated numbers yet on fan graphs, 
but before today, now he is down to a 117 stuff loss, which is still really, really quite good. But the location plus is 97, works out to a pitching plus of 100. And that is decidedly average. And for a high leverage reliever, um, that's pretty bad. You would want him to be better than that if you're going to be relying on him in high leverage. So I think I'm fine with at this point, and I've been the biggest Bush booster of anybody, I guess. This is something with the name. I'm a big fan of Dave Bush, too. So, Uh, But I think that I'm, I'm fine with saying it's time to demote him out of high leverage and have him pitch more in the middle. And then that becomes a question as to guys who are more middle relievers like that, you generally want them to be able to go more than one inning at a time. And I'm not sure if yeah. Matt Bush can do that. So you no, might start not at look, his age. You Yeah, you might start running into questions here about what his usefulness on the roster truly is. Uh, I think I want to see more still because he was he, he, the stuff and all of that was so good last year. And his performance before he got to the Brewers was so good that it felt so fluky that he was that he was as bad as he was but now that the the stuff numbers seem to be degrading i think it it's fair to be concerned at this point about where he is yeah i think that's the main worry with matt bush is he is an advanced guy and you know he had that kind of comeback those don't always last that long necessarily i mean it's a weird profile to start with but you got to be worried when you start to see stuff go south. And um, he definitely should get out of high leverage at this point with with the stuff declining. Maybe he can get it back. Maybe a little stint on the IL gets that arm you know, going again. But it might be over for him at any moment. Like when you get to the age that Matt Bush is, sometimes it just falls off a cliff. And we might be at that point with him. Yeah, it- Age comes very quickly for relievers, so you just have to be yeah. sort of ready for it to to come. And that it sucks, but uh, you don't always. I mean, this is part of the deal. With also, they paid him what two million, two point two, something like that. Like you're not heavily right. invested in Matt Bush. You can move on pretty easily. But I don't think I'm not at the point where I'm like get him off the roster now with him. It's more <laughs> like I would like to not see him in high leverage for a bit. Yeah, I yeah. think this is a scenario, too, where previous regimes like David Stearns is always pretty quick to cut bait with relievers who clearly didn't have it anymore. Right. Like Neftali Feliz sticks in my mind because they gave him like 10 million and they cut him loose before May. So, oh, yeah. you know, I, you know, like they, they've always been pretty quick to move on with guys as long as they have other options in house and you know, that the cost is not prohibitive, right? So it wouldn't surprise me to see them move on super quickly, but also I'm not at the top of my head. I can't really think of who would step into those roster spots they haven't already shuffled in, right? Well, it might be Gus Varlin coming back would push him out, but I don't know. The the bullpen is going to change on a daily basis, though not as much as it used to, like the, the heady days of 2017 to you know, 2019 or whatever it was where they were just running a, a shuttle between uh, here and whoever AAA affiliate happened to be at that moment. 
that's not coming back because of the way the rules have changed. But there still is going to be quite a bit of shuffle here. Like we didn't even I didn't even mention last week that Elvis Piguero was up. I mentioned him as a guy who could yep. come up. And it yep. turns out he actually already was up and I missed it at my my uh, concerting last weekend. So it, the the bullpen shuffle, I think people have almost gotten numb to it, right? Like people just expect that, oh, hey, that guy's back on the team again. And <laughs> just to be surprised by it, even people who watch on a daily basis that are heavily invested, it's hard to keep up with exactly who's on the roster at any given moment. I mean, yeah, Pagero didn't even get into a game until Sunday, right? So <laughs> it's easy to lose track of him too. Uh, let's move on because we've got a, a lot more questions about the bullpen here. Nick Prill asking a two-parter here saying, number one, has Hobie Milner's April been the shousiest month of lefty reliever <laughs> usage since the real Brian Shouse was on a Brewers roster? And two, is one a quirk of the early season bullpen shuffle or is it a stretch run playoff series against a team with a left-handed power hitter also going to feature a lot of high leverage Hobie so I, I guess we saw a little bit of this last year too. Hobie Miller really good early in the year. People kind of clamoring for high leverage Hobie, and, and that didn't work out too well, Paul. <laughs> it, well, it didn't partially because Hobie is um, he's not totally helpless against opposite, but he is a platoon guy, and he is going to be very, very, very effective against same side pitching. That, that's just how he is. He's you know I feel like we all kind of understand now when we see the guys with the weird delivery that it's instantaneous that's platoon guy like that's that's what that is and so he's going to be dominant when he gets a lot of his his dominance um competition and if he's exposed a little bit due to either you know the rule or good pinch hitters or more strategically adept managers or whatever he'll fall off a little bit and if they try and push him into more of a regular role he'll probably fall off a little bit too so um like like i said not a helpless guy but it's this is early season good usage with a healthy bullpen where you can maximize what Hobie does mostly. Um, not, not totally. He, he has faced plenty of both sides, but uh, and he's he's good. But uh, the longer you leave him exposed, the worse things would get over time. Yeah, no, the ideal way to use him is how he was used today, which was you had uh, Verdugo and Devers at the top of the lineup. The Red Sox, really two best hitters, and also Yoshida there uh, in the four spot and using him in that part of the lineup to get those guys out in sort of the middle innings. That's exactly what you want to do. Uh, looking at his usage, he's got 10 innings over 11 games. Uh, so by definition, not Shousey, because Shousey would be like uh, 15 or 16 games to get to 10 innings. <laughs> also true. Right. Like right. that was real. Shousey is not possible anymore. Yeah. Exactly. You literally can't do it anymore. It doesn't work. You cannot yeah. manage that way. So yeah, it's uh, Paul's exactly right here that you want to be careful about how you expose him and you want him to face right handed batters in situations like if you have a right handed batter who can hurt him, you want him facing them with the bases empty or with a base open or somehow that he can get around that guy and not have to throw in and and throw him strikes. You'd really like to have him be able to work around that guy and get back to his bread and butter, which is the you know the lefties. So, and yes, exactly. the delivery is exactly what Paul said. Like, it's that guy. Like, and you can have that from the right side too, to a degree. But those guys are always going to have there's there's always going to be issues with using them against opposite side 
uh, hitters, and you have to be careful to not expose yourself and put yourself in a position where they have to face those guys in critical moments because it's probably going to go poorly for you. All right, moving on to the rotation, we have a question from Morgoth10 asking, realistically, has Wade Miley pretty much already played well (laughs) worth the value of his contract? (laughs) I imagine a couple decent starts still needed to do uh, by the math to recoup the value, perhaps. I guess just wow all around to start this year. Uh, We talked about the weird out-dueling you Darvish last week, and he kind of kept that up again this week, so... Paul, I guess, what's going on with Wade, and has he already made uh, that contract worth it? I mean, it, that's probably a slight overstatement to say that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, I mean, quite. if you want to do the uh, the old uh, exercise where you know if you finish the season with forty outs in a row, he'd still lead the league in hitting, kind of thing. Like, I mean, what do we expect out of Wade Miley when we signed him? It's like a five hundred pitcher. So yeah, he's three and one right now with a one ninety six ERA. If you like, give him four more starts that are kind of crappy. He's still pretty darn good. So, um, kind of yes. And the thing with Wade Miley is, I feel like he is a prototypical um, guy who lives on the edge of like being able to be a major league pitcher. But when he's above those thresholds, he's really good. It's just that when little nicks or injuries or anything cuts his velocity just a hair or cuts whatever spin rate or his whatever anything when anything goes wrong it goes very badly for him so he's very much a sink or swim kind of guy it's the beginning of the season he's healthy right now and he did this last time he was on the brewers like same exact thing he was very very good for a guy with crappy stuff um and not crappy stuff but not a not a flamethrower uh, it also helps to have the Brewers' defense behind him. Uh, and uh, so it, it's a good spot for him. As long as he is right, he can do this kind of thing. It's just you can't count on it going on forever. That's all. Yeah, and I think a thing to note here, and it's also true with uh, with Hobie Milner as well, uh, yeah, the strikeout rate is, you know, basically between 6 and 7 per 9. That's very low in today's day and age. It is. Like, nowadays, when you see a guy under 9, it's like, oh, that guy doesn't strike batters out really like that's in this day and age that's very low but his strikeout to walk uh ratio 4.25 because he's not hardly walking anybody either and so when you do that when you keep that separation um greg maddox was sort of the master of this back in his day like he didn't have huge strikeout numbers for you know a pitcher of hall of fame caliber like his contemporaries even like uh, John Smoltz in his own rotation or somebody like Randy Johnson or Roger Clemens. Those guys were striking out a lot of batters. But what he did do as well as they did was he kept the distance between his strikeout and walk ratio miles apart because he basically never walked anybody unless he kind of wanted to. So he, the command was so good, he was able to do that. So that that is really key. And I would say basically, yes, like Wade Miley at this point. Uh, baseball reference, the BREF page, Wade Miley's uh, smiling visage is number two right there in between uh, Willie Adamas at number one and uh, Brandon Woodruff at number three, making me very sad. So, uh, yeah, like Wade Miley right now, uh, if you didn't get another inning from him for the rest of the year, uh, I would be like, yeah, that $4 million or whatever it is they're paying him, I think it's about $4 million, um, well worth it. Perfect. Great. That's fine. Um, so yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, 
and you're exactly right about this, Paul, that it, like he is a guy that like he's so dancing right on that razor's edge of being like not good. But he's still <laughs> on it. He's still there. He as long he as is. he stays up on on that on that line, like he's really pretty good. So uh, I don't know how much longer you want to count on that going on. But <laughs> on Savant, on Savant, his fastball velocity is the third percentile. That, that three, <laughs> just single digit three. <laughs> well, you know that means that there's two percent lower. Yeah, there you go. So, exactly. Which is kind of amazing. I, although there's like knuckleballers and underhanders in there too, I suppose. Um, although, is there an active knuckleballer right now? I don't no. know that there. I can't yeah. think of one. No, there isn't an active knuckleballer right now. That it gets written about every once in a while. Somebody yeah. talks about it and is like, "Hey, we we don't have one right now." There are guys. There are knuckle curves that are out there that have knuckleish qualities. I mean, we just saw one with Zach Gallen. Yeah, um, he's a knuckle curve guy, but not true knucklers. No, they're that guy. We haven't had one in a, a bit, I think, uh, since What's-His-Face retired. The the guy who went from the Mets R. to R. the Dickey. Jays. R.A. Dickey, yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it might be over with base stealing as easy as it is. Like, it, now you can't ever let anybody on base <laughs> if you're a knuckleballer. Yeah. I, the, the last discussion I heard about this, and I have no idea which podcast it was on, but one of my podcasts, they were talking about it, and they said that um, a lot of people think it's just like trying to find somebody to catch it. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. fair, too. Like, you have to have somebody who's, like, <laughs> the Doug Mirabelli. <laughs> right. That situation. You have to have that guy to, like, be willing to go in and just chase balls down and look like a fool. And, yeah, it's it's not All an right. easy gig to, to try to catch a knuckleball. So 3% for Wade really Miley, but one. no yeah. active knuckleballer. So that that's actually a little better. There you go. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, let's talk about the other sad thing. We mentioned Garrett Mitchell. His season-ending injury uh, at the top of the show. Here we got a couple questions about. Hold on, that. do we know that it's season-ending? Has that been confirmed? It's most likely season-ending. Yeah, because if he has to have surgery, that, that, it's probably the year. Yeah, yeah, and yes, I think yeah. Monday I think, they said he was going to be having a, a second opinion. Yeah, and in second opinions, obviously, famously, you don't get those unless you, you didn't get the opinion you wanted the first time, right? Indeed. So uh, probably not looking good. Uh, Adam Post here, though, asking about that situation and kind of the timing of it, asking if Sal Freilich wasn't hurt at the same time as Garrett Mitchell, he probably would have taken over center field, right? Feels like terrible timing for his injury. Might he still take over once he's healthy? So Literally, we were talking about this. Literally, the day we learned about the Garrett Mitchell injury, uh, Sal Freilich hurt, got hurt in AAA and couldn't come up, and that's that's why we've got Mr. Perkins laying down bunts left and right now, right, Ryan? Yeah, exactly. So here's the thing. This is one of those weird situations where we didn't even know we should be that nervous about Sal Freilich until after Adam McAlvey yesterday posted. I'll just read verbatim the tweet here. Brewers outfield prospect Sal Freilich is getting a second opinion on his sprained left thumb. So the ominous music plays. Um, yes. Uh, so it will be a few more days before the club shares a timeline for his absence. It sounds like the more they learn, the more they believe Sal has avoided a serious injury. <laughs> so <laughs> like, I didn't even know I was supposed to be that nervous about it because guys get hurt in AAA all the time. And But he is on the IL in AAA. And yes, I think there's an excellent chance he would be up right now, though. 
Well, yeah, he probably would be up right now. And I think part of that is this Perkins situation with him laying down bunts today, which I got really worked up about, by the way. I, <laughs> you you are very extremely was, mad. At and I was about that. I rarely, rarely say anything in my seats where I'm like, like I'm mad at the team and like saying something. And I was like swearing and it was family day and I felt a little bad, but I'm like, you know, <laughs> stop having bunting like I. <laughs> and like heads were turning my way. I'm like, oh, okay. I should be embarrassed. Um, so anyways, uh, yeah, the fact that they were having him do that or he was doing that on his own in those situations with no outs and a runner on second, laying down bunts. And he Joey Weimer on second both times. Right. Yes. Joey Weimer on second. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going, okay, you probably don't have a lot of confidence in him or he doesn't have a lot of confidence himself. Either way, this is a problem. And so I do think he would probably be up right now, but Freilich is off to a bad start. Like he, there's no two ways to splice this. Like Sal Freilich was not hitting for like the first time in his pro career. Um, it was really kind of weird. Uh, his line to start the season, 232, 318, 321 in his first 65 plate appearances. Um, this is a guy whose career professional batting average is over 330. So, like, he was off to a very slow start, and I think that there is something to this idea. This was cited with Grayson Rodriguez, too. Like, you don't want to call a guy up who's struggling. I think Brandon McCarthy talked about this, too, that, like, calling a guy up when they're struggling sometimes really does set them up to, like, failure and, like, go into, like, a spiral of of regression like they could start like overreacting and start doing things and getting out of their routines and all that but you have to think he probably would be up right now right like he probably yeah, I think, would be up well i think he might miss his window I, I think is the main thing here because i think he definitely would have been up like if he had he been healthy i think he's just the natural call up there they don't want to lose you know he he provides what you're going to be missing like good defense and and the bats again and perkins obviously is i had i had to double check reference to make sure that we weren't playing a former elderly twins pitcher in the outfield um today <laughs> yeah. when that happened. Yeah, not glad he's <laughs> blake perkins different, i literally did it like yeah, 30 yeah, times like it no no it's a different tv guy. analyst glenn perkins but tyrone yeah. taylor's gonna be available fairly mm-hmm. soon too and i think he probably gets the nod once he's healthy Especially, well, who knows if Relic's going to be healthy anytime soon. Um, but I, I think the window maybe is passed for this opportunity for him. So I think he would have been up for sure. And then, you know, who knows what happens based on his performance. And now I think we end up waiting a little bit longer. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, Perkins was hitting 292, 370, 417 to start the year in AAA. So Perkins was doing what he needed to do. He has the ability to play all over the outfield. So, like, he offers you that versatility, though. Obviously, they have chosen to put him in right and have Weimer in center. So that does tell you a little something uh, Mm -hmm. about what's going on there, too. But, yeah, I... It's a, it's a tough one because Perkins was a guy who was going to see time. And also, I think part of this is clearly Perkins was already on the 40-man, right? They had given Perkins a major league contract to, to sign him and bring him in as a minor league free agent this winter. So a minor league free agent signed to a major league contract. And so he already was on the 40, whereas Freilich would have to be bounced around. Though now, knowing that what we know about these other injury situations... 
I don't think Woodruff is yet on the 60, but he will be. So Frailk will probably right. go on for him. And Mitchell, I don't think, is on the 60 yet either. So there's another guy that can be moved to the 60 for the purposes of of Freilich. The The windows like this will come at weird times, and you never know exactly when it's going to happen. But yeah, you might be right about this particular opportunity that it's kind of closed for him uh, with Tyrone Taylor working his way back. And they will be very happy to see him because I guess today we did start to see, and Weimer has started to make contact on breaking pitches. So that's nice. He's got two singles on breaking pitches. Yeah. Now, so. He's starting, and, yeah. and not just that, but he's also made contact and made outs on other ones. He's putting balls in play on breaking pitches and non fastballs. <laughs> so that's important. But yeah, the thing with, with, uh, with Weimer is still that he is doing this without striking out a lot. So they may be, well, we have a question about that. I'm just going to wait. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's just jump to Jeffrey Emmenecker's question here. Who's asking about Joey Weimer. Uh, the question is what has to happen for Weimer to be sent down. If current form <laughs> continues, i.e. great defense and not good hitting Taylor and Frey, like healthy, something else, Urias back. So, I guess, Ryan, if you want to finish your thought there, <laughs> is Weimer up to stay if he turns these things around? Or do you think he's still kind of on the way down if uh, Freilich is, is not out long term? Well, if he does turn it around and today could possibly be the starting point of that potentially, right? Uh, then no, he doesn't yeah. need to go back down at all because the other stuff is so good. Right. Like the defense is so good. Yeah. The defensive the versatility defense is phenomenal, phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, yes. Phenomenal is not an overstatement, especially given not. the fact no. that you have he has that the throw arm right the other day. Yeah. Yeah. He has the arm for right <laughs> and the speed for center. And that combination is, let me tell you, really pretty rare. Like Mitchell also had it, which is why he was playing center. But like, yeah, that's that's really pretty rare. Uh, at this point, uh, Weimer after today is up to 219, 315, 328. That's borderline. But like at this point, like when Tyrone Taylor is healthy, the obvious send out is Perkins, because if he isn't right. going to hit in those situations <laughs> and swing away, if he's uncomfortable or they're uncomfortable with him doing that, that's your dead ringer that he needs to go. But it does start to make things a little right handed, right? Like that yeah. Taylor and Weimer getting a lot of time in right and center. You're going to start looking for lefty uh, plate appearances at some point. And, you know, that's Sal Freilich if he's healthy and able to to come up. I just don't know how they would do it roster wise. Like, how do you make that make that switch roster wise? So kind of we'll we'll have to see on that. But yeah, I mean. Weimer's just his defense is providing such a floor for him right now. And I think also just he seems like a guy that people love being around. I don't know how much I want to read into like what I'm seeing on TV, but like <laughs> he seems like a guy that everybody just sort of has fun with. And I don't know. Yeah, I I think that he's he's keeping his his head uh, just a touch above water as far as being viable for a roster spot at this point is the way I'll say it. Like his, his mouth is pretty close to that waterline and yeah. you worry about him slipping below, but right now he's kind of keeping himself just on that line. So we can kind of keep going at, at this point for a, a bit here. Yeah. It, health's going to be 
just a huge factor. And and if he's going to get sent down, they're going to need a couple more bodies at least up here for that to happen. But I, I think a big thing with the Brewers is K rates. Like his contact's not great. Like he he's not pulling the ball as much as you would like for an ostensible power hitter. Um, but he's not striking out. Uh, like that was I think the the big worry with Weimer was just he was going to K an insane amount, and he's not. Uh, and so I think as long as he plays good defense and work, like is working on the contact part and, and, you know, getting some hits and using his speed, he'll be okay and will not get sent down um, with it, it's, it's not going to happen in the near future for sure. And he could fall off a cliff. Like the league can always adjust even more than they already have. But uh, I think he's up for a while and maybe to stay just the defense is too good. Yep. Uh, one more question on the Garrett Mitchell injury from Morgoth 10 asking the Mitchell injury is incredibly tough. Personally, he was the player I looked forward to watching the most this year. How well will the Brewers extended depth be able to shoulder the burden of his Boo. injury? Uh, Paul, you want to go first? Uh, you know, we we talked about some of that outfield depth that obviously it's there's, you know, uh, if Freelich's out for a while, it kind of takes a hit. It does, but when we were asked many times by many of you in the preseason, how are they going to find playing time for all these outfielders? Should they trade an outfielder? Right. What what will happen? We said, like, people get hurt. It's a long season. People struggle, um, and outfield depth is good, and they'll find spots for all of them to play. Uh, this is that. It has now happened. And um, it's, yeah, I loved watching Mitchell play, too. Uh, he, of course, has a huge injury history, so this is not super surprising, unfortunately. Um but this is why they have the depth for this situation exactly. So, um, uh, you know, there can always be situations where injuries hit you so hard that you can't weather them. But um, and actually, they're kind of in that situation right now with Frelick's thumb. But um, they'll get back. They're going to get Tyrone Taylor back soon. They'll probably get Frelick back um, and play at least in AAA fairly soon, hopefully, if Adam's not too wrong. But um, they can weather this fine. They're good in the outfield. They have a bunch of good defensive players. They have a lot of versatility. Um, they should be able to weather this. You know, they're well set up to weather this problem, and other teams are not. So, yeah, they have depth there, and they're going to use it, and it's good. 100%. Let's just go to the next question because, yeah, <laughs> nothing new to add. <laughs> All right, uh, Jay Google asking, with Hauser due back soon, what do you think the plan is for him? Do they go to a six-man rotation? Does he go to the pen? Or does he start, Ryan? Uh, he's starting. They already said that. Council's already said that yeah. he's going to be... Yep. They're stretching him out to start. Uh, they're probably going to run him out at first on a little bit of a limited pitch count. So don't expect him to be out there for 100 pitches the first time out, even if things are going well. Uh, the big question becomes, what are you going to do with Colin Ray? Because Colin Ray would now become the sixth starter. And I think that you're probably going to see some piggybacking going on uh, as a way to give their bullpen some more rest on those days. Um, they definitely could use it. They could use some time like that. So I think Colin Ray stays up and gives them some of that. I think we saw in his start at Seattle, part of the problem was when he got into trouble, when the, the big inning happened or big-ish inning, I think this was a big inning. He gave up three runs in an inning there. When that happened, the problem was he didn't have the go-to pitch. He didn't have an out pitch to be able to escape it. And so, he, like, Seattle was just sort of patient, able to patiently grind away at him and put runs on the board uh, on him 
by grinding because even though like he didn't make any disastrously like horrible pitches in that stretch he just wasn't able to get generate the big swings and misses and get guys out so ray is a limited guy in terms of what he can give you but then again you know hauser is sort of as well though he does have that crazy good sinker so i think i don't know that i would necessarily want to use them to piggyback each other I think they might be a little too similar for yeah, that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think maybe you'd want to have, if you're going to piggyback Ray with somebody, maybe it's like Lauer. Lauer and, is the one I was thinking of. Yeah, but thought process kind of along those lines. But yeah, Hauser's going into the rotation when he comes back, for sure. Council's already said it. And uh, nothing really to add to that other than, you know, their rotation depth is what's being tested. And Hauser is, if nothing else, able to be a bit of a workhorse there he's he's a flawed pitcher but um he is um he has shown value in the past their defense is set up well as an adrian hauser supports defense which is nice they have like one of the reasons he has struggled recently is their defense got worse and um he puts ball he puts balls on the ground so um uh, he might be okay and they're gonna do everything they can to keep him in the rotation because i think they can see they're probably going to need those innings one way or another over the course of the season. So that's where he's going to be. Yeah, especially if you get into a run where you're facing a lot of NL Central competition and there aren't a lot of lefty power hitters left in the NL yes. Central. I there think not. that helps you. Like, who is the best lefty power hitter at this point in the division? Is it Nolan Gorman? Like it honestly might be Nolan Gorman. Might be Nolan Gorman. I mean, looking non-Brewers Rowdy Telez division here because Telez, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Telez is the best left-handed power hitter in the division at this point. Like I think that's almost yeah. undisputable at this. Hap's point. a switch hitter, isn't he? Hap from the oh, left side, maybe, yeah. but yeah, that yes. So there's there's one for you, but yep. like. Yeah, it's it is slim picking. So this is good for (laughs) the point is that this is good for Adrian Hauser because that was like he doesn't have to face Jesse Winker anymore, guys. Jesse Winker's on his team. (laughs) Right. So like he doesn't have to worry about Jesse Winker just absolutely hitting tanks off of him anymore because that's what Jesse Winker did to Adrian Hauser was he hit tanks. Did. All right. Our next Patreon question this week comes from My Only Lemonade asking, I want to believe that this team is for real and that we've tapped into the 95th percentile of projections, but there's nothing eye popping about them. And I fear regression to the mean, uh, referencing a seven to one record in games decided by one or two runs. Can anyone help me believe? I know the answer is a high floor, but that's boring. Uh, <laughs> Paul, your take on that. So, all of that is true and worrying, and we're all good analytics people and understand that. But I think it's just worth remembering that they are a run prevention machine. And even with Garrett Mitchell um, out, um, they're still awesome at outfield defense. Uh, and that gives you a little more leeway, and it makes you better in close games because you're better able to protect leads, especially if your pitchers aren't giving up home runs. So um, they are... I, I do think they're walking a tightrope. Like they have a bunch of offensive players who could crash down to earth a little bit, um, but they've got some room for improvement there too. And they're they're starting pitching's kind of it's hanging by it's hanging by a little bit of a thread. Uh, I'll, we haven't talked about this yet, but also Corbin Burns. Oh, yeah, we'll get there. But uh, another shaky uh, one. Yeah, that 
that defense and run prevention is going to be there all season. It's not going to slump. Um, I mean, if the whole team gets hurt, whatever, but um, it's going to be a solid base for them to work off of. Um, even like a moderately better offensive performance versus last year is going to have them in far more games. Uh, their on-base percentage is up this year, which is nice. Uh, and uh, we may have some bouncy ball effects as well. And if all of that's the case, uh, they should have a reliable like wind generating machine going here. So um, it, yes, they've gotten lucky in a few instances, but there's enough in this team that is repeatable that they should be okay long-term. Yeah. I think there's a lot in there. Uh, I think that the defensive floor is a huge, huge part of this and it's going to allow their pitching to play better than basically it's talent. In a lot of ways, you're going to get more out of them. So that that does really help a lot in terms of that. And so, yeah, the high floor part is boring, but like it's also true in this case. So you have that. And I think also we've already seen that the pitching depth being tested and it's coming through better than it did last year. Remember, we lost our, I guess, sixth starter for the year before the season even got out of the starting gates in, in Ashby and then lost the number two starter you know, after only a couple of fantastic starts. And they, they've they managed to survive that really, really well to this point. And a big part of that is the defensive, uh, the defensive players giving them that flexibility to do that. So I, I think that on the, the offensive side, like what they're better at this year, and I've talked to coworkers about this, and I was like, because they're like, it's so nice that they don't strike out as much anymore. And I'm like, well, actually, they strike out more than <laughs> they did last year. That's a weird perception, though. Yeah, genuinely it's, surprising, it's honestly. Well, the BABIP is much better this year. That's the main difference here is that the BABIP is much right. better this year, and they are getting on base much better than they did last year, which when you have guys on base, uh, that's going to help a lot. Even though last year they actually did a pretty good job hitting with runners on base and runners in scoring position, even though nobody believes that's true, but they were actually like one of the elite teams of baseball at doing that. Uh, yeah, so I think part of it is a lot of just comes down to batting average, and they've been good at like blooping hits over the infield in a way that like they didn't in the past a uh, couple years maybe, or especially last year. So that that's been a perception change as well, but there are things, and we're about to get into them. There are things here that are definitely concerning about the profile of this team uh, and why you can be legitimately uh, suspicious of their ability to sort of hold on here and, and be an elite team throughout the year the way they have been. But I think everybody kind of understands that, you know, a 15 and seven start is probably like a high water mark. You know, like, I guess when yeah. they were 15 and six, after Saturday's game, that's probably the high watermark for uh, for win percentage for the season. Like, I know they could win the next couple of games and then they would have a higher win percentage that again. But like <laughs> we're at about the high watermark here. Right. Like in terms yeah, of right. win percentage. You're talking nine over. Yeah, exactly. And I saw a tweet referencing this making the point for the Pirates. But since they basically have the same record, the point still stands like. 500 baseball the rest of the way gets you like 86 or 87 wins at the end of the season. So you're yep. still like squarely in the playoff race just based on this uh, really good start. 
Uh, before we get into the the offensive questions, we do have another question about the the Razor's Edge that they've been living so far. Mattingly's <laughs> easy for me to say. Mattingly's sideburns asking, uh, given the Brewers' five and zero record in one run games, how big of a regression to the mean can we expect? The Brewers seem to consistently have a better record than most teams in one run games. Is it the way Council approaches the bullpen? how he likes to punt games that they are behind early. Uh, Paul, you're shaking your, or nodding your head. And and we kind of talked about this before too, right? (laughs) Yes. Those are all correct. The, the the Brewers are, they go to extremes to protect small leads and they punt on, on big ones, no waste depth. And that does help them. I I really don't think they are like a, a a coin toss 500 um, close game team. They're like a a two thirds ish. uh, If like, they're going to, they're going to, if they're ahead, win a lot of those games, like 80% of those games, maybe more. I'm making up numbers right now, but they're better than most of the league because of how aggressive they are in using their bullpen and how good their bullpen is to protect that. Like they, they really have a, we don't care about tomorrow attitude to win those games. And every once in a while that does lead to punts the next day. Like that's just how they've decided to do things, but um, they're not going to regress like a normal team would in one-run games. They're just not. They have shown for many years now that th- this is a skill for them, and so um, fi- like they're not going to go, you know, forty and zero <laughs> in one-run games, but they're going to have a substantially better record than a lot of the rest of baseball. So it'll come back, but not a ton. And there's a hidden thing here that doesn't get talked about because today, guys, was a one-run game. It won't show up that way in the scoreboard. Nobody will consider yep. it that afterwards. The same thing. <laughs> yeah. Like today was a one run game. They were protecting a one run lead in the eighth inning. It doesn't get much more like one run gamey than that, I guess, other than you're protecting a one run lead in the ninth inning. And the fact that the right. the Red Sox then just demolished uh Bush and Guerra. Yeah. Steve was thrilled about that, yeah. by the way. Um, so the uh having it be uh those uh that they they just got pummeled in that spot. This still was a close game that they lost. I think it goes to show, like, Council was not hesitant about, like, he brought in Guerra, who is essentially their mop-up man at this point, uh, to do that. And it just, you know, it obviously led to a complete and utter implosion of the, of the scoreboard. But did it really matter if the Brewers lost when Bush left? What was it? He it was, like, six... I guess Bush, a couple of the runners he put on scored after he left because Garrett let them in. Right. But, like, did right. it really matter? Eh, probably not. They were probably mm-hmm. going to lose that game almost certainly. And so the way that he does this is by, like Paul said, throws everything at protecting the tight lead. Throw all of the way it use your relievers, do whatever you have to do to try to pull out those wins. And the flip side of that is sometimes you're going to have to just let games go, especially, and this drives people nuts in certain times of the season, um, you, like he'll basically let a game go that's like a one-run deficit in like the eighth inning, and it will make people insane. But it's all part of managing your way through the season and trying to hold those leads that you do have and yep. keep those in the win column. Yeah. And it does it, it, it does really play poker. matter. Like they, they, they know when to fold them. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. 
All right, uh, turning our attention to the offense, as you guys mentioned, maybe some concerning trends here. Let's start with uh, another Mark Podscarby question uh, uh, asking, <laughs> what are your thoughts on all the opposite field hits Bill Contreras has? Do we need to send him to Paul as well? <laughs> uh, if you haven't seen the spray chart, it's, I, uh, I'm not sure William Contreras has a single pulled hit this year. He does Paul. not. He does not have a single pulled hit. I, I mean, Technically speaking, he does. Like he has, he has some outfield hits that are to the pull side of center field, but not like. It's incredible how there's just nothing down the line for like 45 degrees, (laughs) and um, you know, Yelich is psychological. Contreras, I I honestly don't know. It's it's very weird considering how hard he routinely hits the ball. he has not pounded the ball quite as strongly as he did the last two years. Um, his max is not uh, up to snuff as per usual. But William Contreras hits the ball hard sometimes. Usually when you hit the ball hard, you're pulling it, at least sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and it's not like you're getting massively shifted as a right-handed. Not, the shift's gone, but you, you know what I mean. Um, yes. Usually you get a few dribblers through there. It's, it's very strange. I'm really not sure what's up with William Contreras there. But uh, he is uh, really spreading the ball all over the rest of the field. You know, it, he doesn't even have like an infield single to the left. Oh, he's got one. He has one infield single to the left side that, or to the right side. That's it. Um, it's it's weird. It's bizarre. I do not know. I don't have a good theory. Maybe it's trying to elevate it since he doesn't do that and just getting behind a little bit. But uh, keep an eye on his uh, chart. It's uh, it's it's something special. I want to overlay it with Bill Schroeder's favorite yeah. catcher. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, so what I'll say about that is, yeah, you'd like to see a little bit more elevating and celebrating from a guy that was brought in for his power. And that's something you, you're going to want to see. Like, he has no home runs. You know who else has zero home runs? Jesse Winker. If you told me yeah. that we would that's be on weird. Yeah, yeah, April 23rd and Winker and Contreras would have no home runs, I would say, oh, my God, this offense is in a lot of trouble. And uh, they're not. They're they're doing just fine. Um, One thing that Contreras has done a good job of here is he's cut his strikeouts way down. He's down at 17% strikeouts at this point. So he's got that going, which is a positive for him. So we'll take that. Also might might be an explanation a little bit of this phenomenon Mm -hmm. of um, when you get to do strikes shortening up, sometimes that ends up with you going the other way. And maybe some of that is, is what's going on here. Yeah, it's certainly possible. So he's doing a good job taking walks. Like the, the the plate discipline aspect of things has been really good. And obviously, I mean, even if that wasn't true, his transformation defensively into, once again, one of the best defensive catchers in baseball after being, you know, definitely not that when he was with the Braves. <laughs> uh, yeah, like there's a lot going on that is positive in William Contreras's game. This weird thing bears watching, as Paul said, but I definitely am not uh, on my list of things I'm worried about with this team. This is not on the radar. It's so far off we're, the list. We're not really. Yeah. Since we do mention it, we should note his framing is actually down a little bit. He is now in the 77th percentile. So something to keep an eye on. Sure. All right, a couple of exit velocity questions. So Bill Schroeder, Mike Pasello will love this one. Uh, Effectively Wild, (laughs) thanks for the wreck, BTW, Morgoth10 says. In its latest episode, talked about 
if adding exit velo to the broadcast graphics would make sense. Maybe wonder, are there any additions to the regular display you'd like to see more of? Personally, I'd love to see exit velo on every ball in play, for example. Uh, Paul, would that be a bit much for you, or you want that? Um, I, I'm not sure. Uh, it's useful. If it wasn't obtrusive, I'd be okay with it. Like, that'd be fine. Uh, it's not a great stat unless it's in conjunction with launch angle, at which point maybe I just want to see like a big, huge, giant X with the word barrel written across it pop up when that happens. <laughs> um, which basically is basically what they do in MLB the show. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's it, like, it's fine, but it, you know, it only goes so far if you're not elevating the ball too. So it is, if it's not intrusive, that's okay. Um, I wouldn't want it like, in the middle of action, but um, it, it, you know, it's nice to see when guys are hitting the ball hard. So yeah, I'm down with it. There's so many little things that you can flash onto the screen now that barely even register. They put, you know, the pitch velocities on there and a lot of broadcasts do have the exit velocity coming out of, you know, at least often, if not every single time, uh, even when it's not in play and they, in the stadium, you can see that on every ball that is even made contact with. It doesn't have to be in play. They'll pop the, the exit velocity of the ball off the bat. So it's fine. It doesn't bother me. I can ignore it if I don't want to see it. And if I'm like desperate to see it, I guess the one thing that would kind of suck about it is it's probably going to flash too quickly and you're going to miss it because you're yeah. going to be admiring like the 430 foot home run. And be like, oh, I wonder what the exit velocity off the bat was there. So yeah, there's also there's a class of fans that wants less um, stuff on the screen generally, like even that doesn't like the strike box, which I also kind yeah. of fall into every now and then. It, it does start to bother me. So uh, I also I I get people not wanting more stuff there too. And also, do you really like the crack of the bat tells you a lot of it too. So I, I could see it both ways, but I'd be okay with it. As long as it's in a place where you're already having stuff show up, I don't see a huge issue yeah. with it. Like, yeah. if you're adding another graphic to the screen, another thing, and I, I will say, I don't mind yeah, the, the K-Zone, except when they clearly aren't adjusting it from batter to batter, and you're like, uh, that's at his shins, guys. Like, yep. you need to nudge that baby <laughs> up a little bit. Like That does happen sometimes. That does. It happened a few times this week. So uh, that did bother me, but... Yeah, for the most part, yeah, whatevs. It's fine. I will say, I know Bally has the exit velo and the launch angle on the home run graphics now, which is uh, kind of fun to see. Um, it, so you at least get that feedback on on the home runs. But uh, I guess we we put this question first because Price Trozen has a another question about the Brewers exit velocities that are, are less than inspiring so price's question here is picking ba piggy backing on morgoth a recent stat chart showed the brewers at near the bottom in both exit velo and launch angle <laughs> do you think this is going to be a long-term issue or just a small sample ripe for regression p.s all these regression questions i'm drunk already so uh <laughs> There, there is a, a link to a tweet here with a, a nice little uh, quadrant chart graph here to to show, and and the Brewers are in the bottom left quadrant. The they sure one are. that you don't don't want to be in that one in terms of uh, more ground balls and uh, lower exit velocity. Uh, near teams like the Washington Nationals, well, no, they're worse, but you know the Mets are there. Uh, White Sox are kind of in the vicinity, but. Uh, not not 
really the territory you want to be in, Paul. Is this a concerning trend for you, considering those two factors? It's not great. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it, it's a concerning trend. Um, and uh, I think it you can expect some improvement on it. Like when Winker plays more, I think he will add to it. Telez has started to hit the ball harder. Um, and this does happen when you also play a bunch of young guys all at the same time. And they are big drivers of this. Um, if Urias comes back, if he, who knows, um, he will help too. So I think a lot of it is young guys. They may or may not get better over the course of a season. But it might be a problem. It's uh, it's not ideal to be there. And you don't always squeak things through. But again, um, it's not good for offense. Uh, but the Brewers can still win games with not that much offense. So, um, and they do have one thing that does not, that's not, we haven't talked about it, but they have a lot of speed, which also helps to negate some of this because um, if you hit doubles, that's great. And if you hit singles, that's pretty much the same thing this year in baseball, if you guys are fast at all. So um, they, they've got some mitigating factors, but yeah, it's, it's not a good sign. It would be nice if that picked up a bit, <laughs> honestly, kind of concerning. Yeah, this is concerning, and I think I mentioned this already a little bit, but I want to put a finer point on it because I did look this up. Uh, last year, the Brewers had a two seventy nine batting average on balls in play, which the, the batting average on balls in play, for those that aren't aware, has been dropping throughout baseball uh, pretty significantly over the course of the last few decades, and a large part of that is, we think, the shifting, particularly outfield shifting, which hasn't been in any way restricted yet. Uh, but that might be coming. We'll see. Hopefully not. That's, But uh, the the infield shifting has been restricted, and we've seen a little bit of a tick up. I don't know. What's the latest on that? Is the overall BABIP in the league still up compared to where it was last year? Because it was up overall a little bit. Um, I think it is still up. A, yeah. Um, sorry, I can't look without having a giant ad blasting at me. So I think it is still <laughs> up a tick from what I can see. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but the Brewers are up a lot, and they're up from 279 last year to 320 this year, and that does one smack of uh, regression is coming on that. Yeah, for sure. I think that it would be crazy to expect them to maintain that. On the other hand, I don't think it would be fair at all, given that we know that the infield shifting has gone away, and that does seem to have had some effect. Like they've limited the amount of infield shifting you can do. Okay. Uh, and also just the fact that the Brewers have brought up a bunch of guys who are really fast and they're giving plate appearances and will continue to like, yes, Garrett Mitchell's probably out for the year, but insert self Freilich and he is not as fast, but also very, very fast. Yeah. So I think that as long as they have a lot of fast guys out there, that is going to help. And it does improve your BABIP when you have fast guys, right? Like you put the ball in play, it makes it a little bit better, but like, the overall thing with the strikeouts, I'm looking at it right now coming into today. Uh, so last year, they struck out 23.9% of the time. This year, it's 24.8. They're striking out more this year than they did last year, and nobody thinks that's the case. So it's wild, but the the difference is, obviously, they're on base percentage last year, 315. This year, it's 333. And that's basically all being driven by the jump in batting average. It was 235 yep. last year. It's 257 this year. That's what's doing it. Like, there's no mystery here. It's their... The batting average is up, which has helped maintain, even though their their ISO is down from 174 last year. So the isolated power 
So it was 174 last year. It's 150 this year. But their slugging is only down from 409 to 407 because they've managed to you know boost their batting average. So right now the batting average is the, is the thing that is sort of raising all boats offensively for them. And I think you can say that both things are probably true, that, again, regression is probably coming, but they're also probably better than they were last year at it. Where exactly that settles is probably going to go a long way to determining where the Brewers end up this season, right? Where that balancing point ends up being. And if I knew that, I would go to Vegas and put a lot of money down. <laughs> All right. Next Patreon question comes from Brew Crew fan in California asking, will Keston Hero replace Billy Joe Robidoux as the greatest <laughs> quad A player in Brewers history? Or am I forgetting someone? So I... I uh, looked up Keston here has got seven home runs in 16 games, according to baseball reference here, yep. uh, hitting 246, 324, 607 with a 930 OPS. Uh, he's also struck out 21 times in 68 plate appearances. But uh, mm -hmm. Ryan, is he settling into quad A territory for you or is there still hope? Well, so I was actually going to throw this back to you guys because remember when it was an article of faith? Paul definitely will remember this. It was an article of faith. I think this was brought up in Moneyball among sabermetric types that 4A players aren't a thing. They don't yeah. actually exist. Yep. And uh, I think as time has gone on, we've learned the folly of that. So I don't yeah, hold that no as... No kidding. Yeah, I don't hold that as faith anymore that 4A players don't exist. Well, it never made sense because there is obviously a jump and it's not linear. Like you get a, a bunch of guys who are like, if you're hitting against the top three guys in the major league rotation, they're way better than, you know, um, the, the triple A rotation you're facing. So it never made a lot of sense that that would be the case. And yeah, um, I, I think we can say that the four a player is legitimately a thing at this point. That's, there's going to be some guys who are right on the, the median, just kind of by definition, you know, the, the distribution of player talent is linear <laughs> and there's going to be some guys who are right there where they're, you know, at the top of AAA and not quite able to, to do it for various reasons, uh, uh, you know, of of not having quite the right skill sets uh, up at the next level. And yeah, I think we got that going here. And here is, a, I think, a great example of it where, you know, his tools are extremely limited in terms of defensive versatility and contact, but he can power it. So if your contact goes up a hair, you're all of a sudden an awesome player. But if it goes down, you become unplayable. And that's exactly what you're seeing here. Yeah. And this came up, uh, friend of the podcast, co-host of the RAE podcast with you. Uh, Jared Radcliffe brought this up when he was mashing during a, a day game this week and pointing out that like Keston here is not that old. He's 26 years old. And we have to look no further than our own, you know, Nelson Cruz experience where they dealt away Nelson Cruz when he was like about the age of. Keston Hira and Cruz has gone on to have. This was going to be my answer, by the way. Yeah, I was oh, I have... Nelson Cruz has been up age. Yeah, mashed twenty home runs like three times in the Brewer system before he got dealt away. Yeah, yeah. And so the thing about this isn't well. So I'll give you the response that I gave to when he was discussing that with uh, with Ruby was if he can figure out why he's so susceptible to high fastballs, and if the fix for that is one something that he can do, that he's capable of doing, and two, it doesn't drastically diminish his power, I think he can go on and be a star. 
like that's still possible. But the more time that goes on with him without him making that transition, uh, the less likely you have to think it is that it's ever going to happen. Right. So I don't know. We know what the problem is. Keston Hira can't hit anything down the deck basically like he, he just yep. can't he, he, he cannot above do the it. belt yeah. yeah well yeah and like and then anything above the belt yeah like it he or in the higher the you know when they split the the strike zone into uh thirds yeah. anything in that top yeah. area if it's a fastball that has any sort of spin he, he just swings through it so he, can he, i can i throw out my trip my quad a guy yeah, Which, I, I I have a better comp than Nelson Cruz, I think. Mine is Joey Meyer, um, a former Ooh, former very ball. high pick. Um, he has a rated rookie card for the Brewers. Um, <laughs> he, he he hit 161 uh, minor league and and uh, Japanese league home runs in seven seasons, and only got a cup of coffee twice up with the major league crew, for a lot of the reasons that Keston Hira. No, didn't stick around. Joey Meyer also didn't have a position. He was a hefty lad. Couldn't play in. He's supposed to be an outfielder. Couldn't play there. Uh, was not good enough defensively to play first base. But uh, when he, whenever he was in the minors, he destroyed people handily. So um, his slugging percentage across the board are always like 550 or higher, and uh, just couldn't ever translate it to the majors because uh, nutrition was different back then. Or. <laughs> <laughs> And exercise. Yeah, I mean, at this point, you have to say that it's very... Uh, I don't even want to say the word very. That it is unlikely that Castanera is going to turn into a star. But there's also the aspect of he is still young enough. And we have seen him be really, really good at the big league level. We've seen him be a star at the big league level with a bat. So add those two things up and, I don't know, like... It's certainly possible that he could once again, you know, be a star. I just don't know how possible it is. <laughs> At least with the Brewers. Yeah. All yeah. right. Uh, last couple of questions this week. Mark Podscarby, another one asking, uh, you guys discussed last week how FIP is runs, not earned runs. How does the Manfred runner affect that? Ryan, that's an interesting thing I hadn't thought about. Yeah. So. <laughs> What you need to know, the Manfred runner does, when they come in and score, they count as a run. They do not count as an earned run. That run will never be earned by the pitcher, uh, which obviously it would be totally unfair to make them accountable yeah. for a run that Manfred stuck on second base. Yep. So that would it would not make sense. Uh, but presumably, yes, it, it would track against like the runs allowed. So it, it shows up in that part of the pitcher's thing, which is why... I think you're going to see pitchers like Devin Williams and people that would tend to pitch in the ninth and, and well, in the 10th inning. So guys who are like closers are going to pick up a few of those a year, right? They're going to they're going to end up with a few unearned runs because of the Manfred man. And I it it is going to matter a little bit. I don't know, like when we say that it tracks against F that FIP tracks against um runs not earned runs what that means is that that's the number you have to compare it to uh so fip would be in comparison if you want to compare it to something in terms of like how close is a pitcher to this number or how close is a pitching staff to this number that's what you're doing is you're comparing it but even then it's still a pretty crude tool 
um, FIP is not as good as, say, Sierra, and Sierra is not as good as Jonathan Judge's DRA at Baseball Prospectus. I think right now, in terms of the publicly available ERA estimators, DRA is the tops, right? I think they're, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't have any real question about that. So DRA is is the thing there. Um, but yeah, it's you always have to give a little bit of a wiggle room for this, and there will be regression to that. And I think you probably saw it today with the Brewers bullpen. I think their <laughs> the bullpen went a long way towards closing the gap between its ERA and its uh, well, all of the other things. It's DRA, it's FIP, whatever, what have you. Uh, a lot of that gap closed today. And that actually, I kind of like that it came all in one game because it can only hurt you that once. <laughs> like that's having it all come in one game. I yes, like it when regression is just works. gets out of the way. Yes, it's exactly how that works. Yeah, this is pretty, scientifically pretty sure. Yeah, this is scientifically right. based. And uh, Jonathan, uh, don't yell at us or me. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, last one this week, Brian Polakowski. Uh, asking reports out of the ARAE mini pod was that Paul cut his finger and had limited mouse skills. Curious if he's going to avoid an IL stint like the rest of the Brewers. Oh, yeah. He's hang showing it up for us. Yeah. I was peeling a kiwi and I peeled my finger. <laughs> and, uh, oh, no. Yep. And uh, it was awful and uh, <laughs> bled like mad. But I think actually peelers are quite bad in terms of cuts because they take a big chunk. And uh, yeah. I, I basically couldn't type all day Friday for work or any other reason. It was really hacking me off. So um, it's it just Band-Aid came off. Yeah, I was James is doing the one finger old man typing. And that is what I was doing, too. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm all healed up now. I can type again. Band-Aid's off. It's uh, it avoided infection. So we're back off the IL. We're good. Minimum was minimum stay is all we did. There we go. Glad to That's hear it. it. Hopefully yep. it doesn't affect your draft, draft stock later this week either. So <laughs> uh, injury concerns there. All right. That'll do it for uh, questions this week. Uh, plenty of them. As we mentioned, if you want to make sure you get your question answered here and on reporting as eligible, go to patreon.com slash MKE tailgate two bucks a month gets you that question priority. Uh, and while you're out on the interwebs helping support us, you can go support us another way. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you listen to us. Give us a five-star review while you're there. And also be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button to make sure you never miss an episode. Uh, this is a bit of a long one. A lot of thoughts over the last couple of games for the Brewers. But uh, as I mentioned, still two more series to go in this homestand. Hopefully things go a little bit more smoothly uh, in the next coming week. We'll be here next week to recap all of it. In the meantime, have a good week, everyone, and we'll see you here next time on Milwaukee's Tale.